This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Good morning, good morning and good afternoon, depending on where you're at. And now uh, we got some some great conversations going on. And Dan, who has been feeling under the weather and uh, he's back. Dan, hey, good morning. Feeling better, man? I'm feeling better than I was. Not as good as I should feel. But we know it's not. We know it's not COVID. So that's a. We that's know it's not COVID. I've actually done three COVID tests because uh, the first two that I took were rapid, and they said they're only eighty-two percent, and they wanted me to take a PCR. So we're um, we're we're fairly certain it's not COVID. So do you have any brain cells left? Because man, they shoved that thing way up in your multiple times, and then they make you. There's one time they made me do it myself. So oh, <laughs> I don't man, know if we I, call the self harm at that point. I wish they could come up with like a serum test. I'll give you blood all day long, man. But when they test you by shoving that thing up your nose, that, that hurts, man. That's just not, not comfortable at all. But we're not here to talk about COVID. We're not here to talk about your nose nor your brain cells. But we are here to talk about the All Hazard Incident Management Team Association and what it is. And, well, we have a special guest coming in from, well, your old neck of the woods from from Texas. It's uh, And, and Paul uh, actually told me this morning that he retired officially from uh the forestry and i didn't realize that texas even had forest i always think of just flatlands and rocks but uh paul welcome to Ian Weekly. good morning Ol. how are you today i'm doing well sir good morning well, sir thanks for joining us absolutely so tell me about your 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 experience in the, in the texas forestry that's uh that, that kind of uh i'm excited about that actually sure i and i have to be very give you the thought process that it's uh not Texas Forest Service anymore. It's Texas A&M Forest Service. We've been a part of the A&M University system since like 1915 when it was uh, evolved. And so it's, you know, been a unique uh, venture and journey in that thing. I, I had 25 years with them and and then prior to that, 15 years local government. And, uh, and in the middle of it, obviously, and the res- Army Reserves and that stuff. But Interesting, uh, Forest Service uh, has become a somewhat of a mainstay, definitely, of the incident management world. Uh, been a part of uh, the evolution of our all-hazard IMT program throughout the nation. So the biggest fires that I've been on um, doing emergency management stuff has been run by the National Fire Forest Service, right? Because, I mean, they, they, as soon as it gets into the national uh woods here i'm in orange county california and we have a couple um and the national fire and i'm telling you i i remember the first fire i went on the first large fire i went on um as part of emergency management not as a first responder but um and i, I got to the to the command post there was like two vehicles literally an old broken down trailer right because we were this is we're like the 20th something fire and a a truck from the salvation army um or i'm sorry the um yeah the salvation army food truck was there and yes. I, I I go to bed, I sleep in my truck, I, I go to bed, I wake up, and all of a sudden there's like 30 trailers. I go to bed again, I wake up, and there's like 100 trailers. I'm like, where do all these people come from? I mean, how am I not hearing it in the middle of the night? But yeah, it's amazing. So it's, it's a huge complex that gets built. 
Talk a little bit. How, how does that happen? Like, what's the process of, of getting all that gear to a command post? That's a great point. I One of my buyers that I love to tell a story about occurred in California back in 96. And I went out, there's a plans chief trainee, just like we look at today, how your evolution and being in position. But I was doing plans chief uh, trainee position and uh, got out there and uh, they had a, you know, I think it was a couple of thousand acre fire. And by the time I left, we make, made it Texas size. And uh, the reality was, I, I would tell you, that was probably a heck of a learning experience because what you described there, I recall very distinctly going through the, if we have what we know as a planning P today. And he went into the, you know, the tactics meeting and they had conversation. But then uh, at the planning meeting, all of a sudden the uh, instant meteorologist I, I met, came in and he gave this new prediction as far as a Santa Ana wind uh, projection. And the uh, fire behavior analyst said, okay, that's as per what the IMET said, folks, this is where this fire is going to be, you know, tomorrow. And it was, and it's going to go through a community. Well, immediately the ops chief, you know, turns, it was a unified, uh, the unified command with a Cal fire or CDF at the time. And, Mm -hmm and a U.S. Forest Service, and a, he looked at two uh, uh, incident commanders and said, folks, uh, based on what they just said, we need to order up Cal OES, a.k.a. the uh, all the mutual aid. And the ICs looked back at him and said, "What are you? how much are you talking about? He said, I want 50 strike teams of engines. I need them here today. And uh, as a, that was the most interesting uh, event for me. And became one of those mantras that brought back to Texas and said, that's what we got to be able to do. And I think today we can, but it took good 20 plus, well, some 96 to, I'd say three years ago, our folks here in Texas were able to now mobilize that kind of resource. That happened within six hours. Mm-hmm. It blew me away. And uh, I just share that. That's the evolution that we have seen in our instant management world today. But it was a great example of how quick and what you just brought up, Todd. So with incident management team, so you, you have an incident, it's getting out of control. I'm not saying, well, out of control sometimes, but it's getting out of your Hispanic scope of control at least. And then you you plug an incident management team and you say, hey, we need one of these. And uh, uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden a team comes with a bunch of gear and stuff. How, how does, how does first of all, how does a team form, right? And then... What does it to be a type one team? What do you have to have to 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 be called that? And and how do how do you make that team? That's a great point uh, in regards to whole key word there is complexity. And can you manage that complex instant that we look at in our typing that we say today? I kind of chuckle a lot of times and talking to people said, so, "Yeah, I'm type one," and then I look at them and explain to me what you think type one is, and they have no idea in that regard. And it's kind of interesting as this. Again, in our evolution that we're seeing here in the last, um, actually, uh, I'd say the last 20 years, uh, it's really brought that to light. And so what you ask about the type one, again, it's dealing with the, the complex issues that we deal with. You know, it's, it's the fire, but it's also the planning and the mobilizing of the resources to come in and then managing those resources. You know, you look at the old uh, definition of saying, okay, an op- if we're type one, you're looking at a operational element of a thousand people or more and, and, and taking it back from that. 
but it's a whole lot more than that because you have the like I, I like to refer to as the socioeconomic factors, the political issues, the media, all of those things tie into what is a type one and having that capability and I would say competency to deal with all of those elements that come into play besides putting the wet stuff on the red stuff. And 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 that's what, you know, you look at what is involved. I mean, that's why so often our hurricanes that we see, there's some, you know, uh, applicability to that, to what we see in the large wildfires that we obviously, generally, everybody says it's happening in the West. Well, we've seen our share of them in Texas, too, over the last 25 years. And uh, it's kind of how it's changed. Now, whether that's, you know, we get into lots of conversations about climate and all that, but it is it is dealing with the trends that take place. I like to think it's more the, uh, you know, Pacific Oscillation or the La Nina events that occur, really that have got a lot of impact on the fuels and the vegetations. All that being, coming back to your original question about the type one, uh, again, it's that combination that makes it a incident complex. And do you have the capacity uh, to manage all of those elements? I, I like to think of the, you know, the, the community lifelines that FEMA now has put in place. I, I wish I had those a, a good while back as an incident commander because those elements tie in to all of the pieces you've got to look at on any given instant, whether it's a wildfire, whether it's a hurricane, whether it's a tornado, whatever, depending on your capability to manage all of those uh, lifeline elements that are out there. So we posted, we made a post and it was on, on LinkedIn and uh, on the Facebook too. And the question was, is do emergency managers belong at the CP? And I think there's in the, the, basically the question is large scale disaster, not, not like, a small event, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's been a lot of conversation back and forth. And some people are like, no, not at all. The emergency manager belongs in the rear of the gear. You know, the emergency manager doesn't have the skill set to be here. And, you know, why would you want, right? And I'm like, okay, I get it. And it's a good conversation. And I actually, you know, part of the reason why we post these posts is to, to see people have conversation. What is your feeling? Do, is there a role for emergency managers um, at the command post for complex events like, like that we're talking about fires or hurricanes or tornadoes? Well, I might be partial there. Obviously, my career, I was 15 years as a local emergency management coordinator. I see value in uh, having that person there tied in, you know, with especially at the command level and my liaison officer. Uh, that is really important that you have that linkage there. Now, does the local emergency management coordinator need to be that or does it need to be one of his, his or her personnel? that or locate it with that incident management team. And again, I personally see value added uh, in that regard. Uh, it, it can, especially bring in, when you bring in an incident management team, here's something that's really important. And I, I, I we took that to heart here in Texas during our last uh, hurricane, Hurricane Harvey. And I, and I, part of the lessons learned is having your uh, local knowledge uh, element and in my book and or my thought process is that local emergency management coordinator is that local knowledge and again uh, it could be his or her representative just like an agency administrator mm-hmm. where they're generally not out there however i've been on instance uh, for example hurricane sandy in new york city the agency administrator came out there all the time that was the commissioner of emergency management 
that doesn't happen that way all the time. And all due respect, a lot of those folks that end up being in that agency administrator role may not have the expertise, you know, out there. But yeah. I feel like an emergency management coordinator, yeah, they should have that expertise and should be part of that uh, command unit. Well, that, that makes that's a fantastic point. That's one of the issues that when I was in, in Texas, uh, we continuously um, uh, were going back and forth with where we should be, what kind of training we should have, what, what kind of collaboration we should have. But um, my question is is just on that collaboration. When when these these teams, and this is a, this goes into the to the area of complexity, when these teams enter into a, a jurisdiction to to aid in the to the in the incident and fault, how how do you see that? either adding to or taking away from the complexity when a team folds into an incident to then respond to uh, what's needed. Okay. Well, you know, the old adage about we want to bring uh, chaos out and, and get back to some kind of normalcy. And I feel like when you bring a team in, uh, an experienced team, and hopefully uh, that's what we're bringing in, whatever, whatever level it is, they're bringing that uh, capability to bring us back to normal. And and that normal, again, can uh, be many different uh, segments to that. Um, and, and, I, and I wanted to tie one other thing back to our previous thought process there was, you know, when I, and I don't know that I finished it, when we had Hurricane Harvey, one of the things that our state operations center, our, our Texas uh, Division of Emergency Management, the, the main folks said, if we bring teams in, we make sure that we have a person from Texas that understands our local system and our culture, shall I say. Yeah. So, again, that comes back to your previous question about emergency management coordinator. That's how we have that linkage and how we tie it in. Having the local knowledge and having the ability to know what you brought up, uh, Dan, is the fact of, well, okay, we want to get it back to normal. We need to know what normal was or is. And to be able to help affect and make that change uh, in getting it back there. Hope that answered your question. It did. Thank you. So I I, I get the the incident I have the incident management team level three training underneath my belt. All right. Yep. Yay. Gay for me, right? <laughs> but during, I, I thought the class was great, by the way. If you guys have an opportunity to take in that class, take it. I, I really, even if you don't plan on being part of a team, um, or or if it's just, but just. Go through the training because you really learn a lot about incident management teams and some of the processes that go through it. But you know, the one thing they really stressed upon with with the class um, was getting that delegation of authority from from your local government. So, w- w- talk about that for a second, and exactly why do you need that, and why is that the, like the most important document you're going to have in your pocket? Absolutely. Well, I like to think as an incident management team, and especially as an incident commander. I want to know what success looks like. And I've, there's a number of elements that, that delegation authority. And, and, and I believe also in, you know, when back when we started the one-eyed NIMS, coming from two-eyed NIMS, that was a component of, of one-eyed NIMS, was a delegation of authority. And many people just did not understand, am I taking and giving all of my authority off when I give a delegation? And the answer is absolutely you're not because you address it in there. What is it that we are expecting of that instant management team? And I like to say it, what's success look like? 
And that's the element of why the delegation is so important to have that conversation. Now, that being said, I will admit many times I've gone out uh, and we've actually wrote the delegation and come back to the agency you know, administrator or the county executive, whoever, and said, here, I think this is what you want us to you want us to do, you know, and we walk through that. And, you know, there can be that negotiation uh, factor with it. If we many times also, I will share in that delegation, uh, if I as uh, chief of fire operations for Texas A&M Forest Service and bringing personnel in, many times I would be the one given a delegation. If I was out there with that on that particular instant, I would make it a unified command because then I have some um, actually kind of taken some liability off of that instant commander on that team and go, like I say, go unified command. I'm going to let them manage their team. But the reality is it helps in having that ability there and or actually putting one of our other instant commanders is tied in with them in our state. That part would be advised in that delegation. Absolutely. I think that's important. Now you and, and again, I can't overemphasize you know, what that delegation of authority provides for. And that's part of it is what are your legal authorities? What is how how are we going to look at the physical uh, parameters here? All those elements are really important. Even the, you know, how are we managing the, uh, uh, the public information process? How are we going to manage, uh, you know, the law enforcement, any kind of uh, legal uh, elements that may need to be that should that in a good delegation authority that should be addressed in there. But a chief one time that told me that you can delegate authority, but you can't delegate responsibility. So that's the one thing you got to hold on to. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We come back. There's a question that was posted in the comments. that we want to cover and uh, we want to hear more from Paul. So uh, stay tuned. Hey, all, how you guys doing? Hey, if you're headed over to the National Homeland Security Conference in Las Vegas from August 30th to September 2nd, I want you to stop by and see my friend Sean Griffin and his team at Disaster Tech. They are the leading decision science platform for risk and resilience. See, and be sure to stop by booth 205 and learn how Disaster Tech's DICE solution can help your team plan and exercise across government and industry, leverage data and risk intelligence, and accelerate evidence-based decision-making and ultimately save lives, money, and time. And hey, also follow them on Twitter at DisasterTechINC for more updates. That's DisasterTechINC. See you there. Dan, we can't hear you. Oh, come off mute. Am I off mute? I'm off mute. I also just wanted to send out a reminder to everybody to keep your eye out for us in New York City on November 18th. We're going to be at the National Disaster and Emergency Management Expo. And we're going to go live with, uh, well, Todd's going to go live, actually, with uh, uh, FEMA administrators Craig Fugate and uh, Pete Gaynor. So uh, he's going to do a, a fireside chat tackling all things emergency management and disaster response. Uh, if you can't, can't make it, also uh, look for the live stream. But we just want to say a big thank you to the, uh, to the presenting sponsors at uh, Crucial Staffing, uh, don't send Bobcat and Onsov uh, for helping us bring this session to you. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for that information as well. And, and I do look forward to seeing everybody in New York if you guys can make it. If not, like Dan said, jump on the uh, on the video uh, stream. 
So before we the break, um, Michael comes in and says, hey, many IMT incidents 209 show numbers of responders, but also they tend to only show fire resources. Why not law, public works, utilities, et cetera? This would give media and communications a real view of resources. And or is that or he says, or is that an EOC task? From from my yeah. perspective, I, I believe that we should show all the responders on our two oh nine and and basically, especially if they have a responsibility, I say accountability, maybe it's a better term, uh, to our incident. I'd sure like to know that if I'm the incident commander uh, oversight in for a particular incident. And and so I believe that I would want to show them as part of my 209. That's what it's it's telling you about that incident and who you have accountability for. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's accountability is, is the uh, is the most important part about this. You know, that's a, that's the one thing I try to explain to you all the time when we talk about paperwork, especially my students and you know teaching ICS 300 and 400 and whatnot. And, you know, they get they get involved into the whole, you know, filling out the documents. And it's not obviously incident management isn't about filling out a bunch of documents. Right. I mean, it has to happen. But that's but the idea behind it is accountability and, and then also uh, trackability. Right. So at the end of the day, yeah. when, you know, FEMA or, you know, whoever's paying for it, I think it wants to know what they're paying for. You can say this is what we did. This is how we used it. This was our, pr-. you know, so, I mean, it's it, don't get caught in the, in the document. You know what I mean by that? If there's a form that says fire truck. You can always white line it and put something else that goes, you can put diesel pickup truck or whatever that you're using. Um, so uh, don't get caught in the forms. That's, uh, that's my, my advice to everybody when it comes to the forms. Now, one more thing about working on, on, on large scale incidents, you get swag, right? I just want to show, and, and you get like this, uh, you know, there's a little incident management, the, the Oregon incident energy team. Um, how does, and I kind of asked the question earlier, but I didn't want to follow up on it. How, how does that a team like this get formed? And then like, what does it mean? Like, like, who are these people? How do you get, you know, like, who are they? Like, like, who is this team? Okay. I, I kind of give you a piece there. It's interesting. We go back and have evolution of our all hazard IMT community. Um, some people may or may not be aware that, you know, back in about 2004, there was a focus group, you know, those, that, that kind of ironic term that was formed up. I kind of call it the Gettysburg of, Accords, of, but uh, we we had a group from all over the nation come together, and uh, you know it's a national group from different uh, different Forest Service, EPA, FEMA, obviously, and uh, then the fire community from across the nation, uh, and and putting together and and developing what that looked like and how you know that that particular there was a couple of meetings that took place there uh, with local government as well to say, okay, we need to have this domestic incident management. We've been given this, and this is after, you know, the the 911, but I'll also tell you the Columbia shuttle incident had a lot to do with it as well, and that's, many people may not realize it, but one of the parts is forming a team, and I'm really pleased to, you know, the U.S. Fire Administration right now, and and again, working with EMI in, in developing what that has and there's a lot of documents right now that are going to get ready to be going on the web uh for the purpose of that very question you asked now i hadn't answered the question i'll take you down that road real quick for example in forming a team you got to figure out you know okay what's your who's who's involved and i in our case in texas we we developed a steering committee if you will and trying to guide us and that and that steering committee came up with a number of 
uh, things that you've got to address when you form up the team. Who's playing on that team, if you will, is a good way to say it. How do they communicate? How, you know, who are they reporting to? Who's, uh, what level does that team train to? Uh, you brought up the type three or do we go on, you know, to be in that ultimate type one team? Uh, how do they travel? And, and in a sense, when I say that is what's that MOU, MOA, and how, who, how are they attached? How are they linked? What's their legal status? Because you got to remember that. You got to follow the dollar and that can be done via an MOA, which, or as opposed to an MOU. A means uh, you got some physical attached to it. And then uh, again, how do we select these people? These are just some questions that I think of back in the day when we were starting to, to involve it. How about having different folks from different disciplines? And I was, we we're pretty big on that back in the day when we evolved it because is it just fire, is it EMS, is it law enforcement, emergency management? I think it's all of the above, frankly, because that makes for a team to be very diverse and bring in their pieces. Is it a state? Is it a local only? How about can you integrate even federal? Now, that, that's got to look at what their uh, pol you know, policies are as far as being able to do that. But that's doable um, and kind of taking it. Next question you asked, we had the Oregon team there. You know, who's the oversight to it? You know, in the case of Oregon, like say their their fire marshal, state fire marshal office was a lot involved with it, along with ODF, the Oregon Department of Forestry. Oversight in Texas, we've got the, like say, Texas A&M Forest Service has by statute uh, the ability to form these instant management teams. And that's going to vary, obviously, across our 50 states and uh you know, that's something that's got to come up with determining how that's done. And it would be good to have some kind of legal uh, backing in there, whether it's through your legislatures or however you, you accomplish that. But they got to have legal backing. they got to have physical backing to make those teams. That's, that's a real important thing. And, you know, you could have different linkages to different local, it doesn't, you know, local government. But I would submit to you when you look at that having local government tied to your state government because state then goes to the federal and having that ability to have that linkage is really important i i truly believe that and and knowing the other part is how do we train the people i like to say what's that roadmap of the training and then the qualification or, or uh, certification of your personnel and then that adds to how do we credential them um by the way, back to that at, at steering committee, it's critical when you, you just don't arbitrarily just say, I'm going to form a team. You got to think about some like some of those questions I just asked and create that implementation plan. And and believe it or not, I, again, I, I know I'm coming back to Texas. We all pretty proud down here. But the reality is it took us a number of years. I, I, I can even give you that, you know, we, we had our first big steering committee meeting was in January of 2005, but our first 0305 class wasn't until January of 2007. Now, that, and you brought up that training class, the 305 a little earlier, really important, but that's the basis of starting it. So getting the number, the people trained up in that, and then, and that is a good basic course or team course, I would call it, then do your physician-specific training, and that all can be put into your roadmap that you develop for your implementation. I mentioned all those things. Uh, 
it's obvious that you just don't do it overnight. You may think that click your finger and it's there. It takes quite a bit. And, and again, having that understanding and developing uh, your procedures that your team and I, let's back up your guidelines. I'd rather say it that way. Your guidelines to the, for the development and, and uh, obviously the succession of your team and, one of those elements, succession planning, because your team will have turnover. How do you keep the team uh, continuing to be very functional, active, and uh, vibrant? And uh, that's that to me is a real important part. Uh, and what we you brought something else up. How do we mobilize? Well, that would be part of that implementation plan too. You get your people uh, trained. You get them uh, qualified. Then talking about that mobilization of that team and, you know, how many do we take? Do we have the depth? And that should be, again, part of the implementation. What, how, much, how many folks are we looking at? We, we started out when we looked at that program, we said, oh, 14 people is going to be our typical type three team. And now we want to be three deep. That was kind of our goals back in 2005, seven, uh, that time frame, the, mid uh, 2000s and then you just work it from there and i think you know and and we do see uh, uh the ebb and flow uh of it uh because that's what happens with any kind of team that you have out there by the way by the way back in that time you know uh all of a sudden we had another hurricane that occurred i don't know what those hurricanes do to us it, it always prompts you it's like wildfires in california or oregon or washington wherever uh, but all of a sudden you see the need for it. And I think that's the other element. What is your team going to be capable? We like to think today all hazard means all risk means all discipline. And, and so therein lies a, a piece to why it's important that you have that diverse group, uh, again, working through it. Okay. I, I talked a whole bunch there and you probably got some questions. No, I, you know, I, I, I do have questions, but the, the thing is we're coming closer to the end of the time and I wish I could spend, you know, another hour with you just to, to pick your brain, Paul, because you're giving some really great information. This is, you know, the high, that, that's one thing that I think is interesting too. Uh, you know, when it comes to what we do as emergency managers, it's, it, it's all over the board, right? What I mean by that is there's so many different ways you can go with it. And going back to that question, does an emergency manager belong um, at the command post? And I think Paul, you answered that, that, that greatly because it's not just about that one particular thing. And then and the other thing too, is I, I think that the misnomer is, is that if an emergency manager is at the command post, that they're going to be the incident commander. That's not what that, that question is. It's what can, what value can they bring to the command post to help out uh, from that, from that level and, and whether you have to be in an EOC or not. And, and I think that you're start, you're starting to see smaller jurisdictions use incident management teams concept, even if it's not traditionally an incident management team, the concept of that, because it's, you can't do three, four deep. You can't have a full team out at the, at the incident and have an EOC staff because you just don't, if you only have X amount of staff members, you know, that's what you can do. So um, I love the idea of using the incident, incident management teams, um, you, you know, as a team, uh, including your, you know, whoever's your lead at the time, whether it's a public works issue or fire or police and having your, your, your backup with, with emergency managers and, and other staff members like that. So Paul, uh, I do really appreciate everything that you're doing. We have one more comment that just popped in. See if we can grab it. 
Does it says does your IMT send somebody to the EOC? Say that again. Does the incident management team? Do you guys send somebody to the EOC? If 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 that is part of what we see would be value added, absolutely. That'd be a liaison uh, factor that we put there if we need to. Absolutely. Dan, you got anything else before we let Paul go? Well, I just want to thank you for your time. I mean, I, I appreciate your insights and, and I had some more uh, comments I wanted to make, but if we did, I'd be here for another 10 minutes with you. So <laughs> I'll, I'll let you go. Respect your time. Just appreciate the time you gave us today. Absolutely, Paul. Thank you so much. And hang on one second. We'll, we'll be back to you in a minute, but we got to say goodbye to everybody else. Hey, Dan, thank you so much. I'm glad you're feeling better, at least better to be back on, on the show and, and uh, you know, get healthy there. Everybody else, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. I mean, this is a really important conversation and how we can really expand what we do um, as emergency managers instead of being in that proverbial box, right, that we can uh, do things outside and, and, and learn from each other. And, you know, as we see climate change and stuff happening, uh, we're going to start seeing more of these type of incidents. So until then, Follow us on on your favorite uh, podcast player. And also, hey, check us out on LinkedIn. Engage what we do. We have some good questions coming up. Our team is working hard to, uh, to really inspire. So follow us on LinkedIn, all right? Until next time, stay safe and stay hydrated.